Well, thank you, Johnny Miller, for sharing your story for God's glory with the rest of us. And how awesome it is to see how God can give someone a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. And what a privilege it's been for me to know Johnny and uh, to see him get married, to see him serve the Lord, and to see God just continue the great work that he has done. And uh, this is an exciting way to conclude our resurrection week. You know, and we're asking the question, did Jesus... Uh, did Jesus raise from the dead? That's the question that Resurrection Week really brings up. So I want you to grab your Bible, if you got one, and open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. Because this is what we started with. And if you were here on Good Friday, we actually had a funeral for Jesus. And the question is, did he really die? And did he really rise from the dead in a physical way? And this is what Christianity is all about. It's the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 is a key passage because it tells us, it defines for us the gospel, the question that, that Jen didn't know, that she had to learn, the, the thing that changed Johnny's perspective on relationships and enabled him to love, share, and all of this is right here in 1 Corinthians 15. Start reading with me in verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. It's the gospel that's the power of God to save us. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures as prophesied in the Old Testament. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So this is what we believe and this is what we would encourage you to believe. This is what the Bible teaches. That Jesus was God and he became a man and he lived a perfect life. And then he brought that perfect righteousness on the cross where he died for your sin. For the things that you've done wrong. And then he rose again. That's the story. That, that's what we believe. In fact, it even says this. Maybe you haven't ever kept reading here. But look what it says. It tries to give proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead. It says, and that he appeared to Cephas. It was known as, that's a name for Peter. And then to the twelve. In fact, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Hey, if you don't believe us that Jesus rose from the dead, Paul's saying at one point he appeared to 500 people. Most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. They'll tell you all about it. That they saw Jesus after he had died on the cross. They saw him alive again because Jesus rose from the dead. Anybody want to say amen to that here tonight? That's what we believe. But see, when we say we believe it, and notice how it even says it here, that you hold fast to it. Unless you believed in vain. See, there's a lot of people that would agree with the information we just went over. And even though they weren't an eyewitness, they might still tell you, yeah, I think that's all true. I think Jesus died on Good Friday. I think he rose again on Easter Sunday. But that's not really the question that we're here to talk about tonight. The question is not, did Jesus raise from the dead? The question is, did Jesus raise you from the dead? That's the question that we're here to talk about. 
Because yes, it's historical fact, the Bible says it is, that Jesus did rise. And you can even believe and know that Jesus did rise from the dead. But what the Bible's been teaching us all week long is that if you really believe, when you transfer your trust to Jesus and you put your faith in his death and resurrection, you experience the gospel as well. You die to your old life of sin. If you were here last night, we talked all about putting to death what is earthly in us because we're dead to the old life of sin that used to define us and you rise again to a whole new life. And we talked about that a couple of nights ago. If you were here, that your life is now hidden with Christ in heaven and so you set your mind on things above because you've died to your old life, you've risen to a new life and it's like your life is already in heaven right now. So the question for you tonight It's not just do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Can you look at your life? And I'm talking to you. Can you look at your life and say, yeah, there was a point where I died to my old life. And there was a point where I now have a brand new life. And before it was all about me and what I wanted. And now my life is defined not by me, but by Jesus Christ. Who can say that here? You know, I I hope that at our church, God would give us 500 eyewitnesses who could say, I've raised with Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe it, look at me. I hope we make 500 videos of people who've been resurrected here at this church. Because that's what we believe God does. He has the power of resurrection and he gives it to us. So go to Colossians chapter 3. Three with me. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is the passage that we've been working through. Things we've been learning about our life as Christians, if we are Christians, if we really have believed in Jesus and been raised with Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, it's on page 984, if you got one of our Bibles. And it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So every night we've been learning something about our life if we've been raised with Christ. And I got some good news that along the way as we're learning this, we got three people who I think are all in the room right now. We don't want to embarrass them. But we got three people who have asked God to give them a new life in Jesus Christ. And I believe have been raised up even to a new life here this week. And I should say three so far because we're still going right now. So... uh, Tonight we're at verse 12, okay? And this is going to be a clear statement about how you're going to live this new life. What is it going to look like? You're going to put on this new person that Christ now has made you to be. We're going to look at verses 12 to 17 tonight of Colossians chapter 3. So please follow along with me as I read. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You got to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word 
or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the idea of what we're going to learn tonight is that you're putting on, it's like the, there's in the language here, like a, like a change of clothes is taking place. Like I'm putting off the old garments and I'm putting on some new garments. And that's where we ended up last night. And look, if you look back at verse 9, it says, do not lie to one another because you've put off the old self. You got off those dirty old clothes with its practices and you put on the new self, see? And now we want to get real descriptive about what we're putting on. Because your life, when you know Jesus Christ, when you get raised with him, your life will completely change. That's what we're learning. I mean, there will be a radical transformation. And, and here's what it's going to look like when you're one of God's chosen ones. When you've been set apart from your life of sin, that's to be holy. When you're loved by God, when he sees you as, as his, you're, he's the heavenly father and you're one of his kids. Well, then you put on five things he gives us here. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And this is clearly what we would call when you're studying scripture, we call this a virtue list, okay? These are the kinds of things we want to be, because before, if you were here last night, we got some vice lists. Look back at, at verse 6, I mean, sorry, verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it gives us kind of some bad things we don't want. We want to put off sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So it gives us five things there that we want to put to death. If you look at verse 8, it says, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Again, five, we call those vices, sins that we want to put off as part of our old life. So we get these old life things out of here. And then, very important, that we put on the new life, starting with a compassionate heart, which really you could translate bowels of mercy if you want to get graphic enough here on a Thursday night, right? I mean, like your intestines care about people now. That's basically what it's saying. You feel other people's pain in the deepest part of you. And then it, it gives us the list of things. And here's just a practical note before we start getting into the outline. We've got a lot of people out there that are trying to stop the bad things. Oh, if I could just stop lusting, if I could just stop getting angry, if I could just stop this. And sometimes maybe even people for a while are able to stop the big sins in their life for a while. The question isn't just what you're stopping. Really, the question is, what are you going to put on in its place? See, see, a lot of people are walking around thinking, don't lust, don't look, don't lust, don't look. When really what they need to be thinking is, who am I loving? See, how am I trying to be pure? Don't get angry, don't get angry, uh, you know, a long fuse, don't, don't blow up. No, but who really am I going to be meek with? Who am I going to be patient with? So you can't just try to get rid of the bad stuff in your life. You have to replace it with your new life in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see tonight is the new you is identified with three things about Jesus Christ. And the first one that we see is the love of Jesus. So just in that box there, in point number one, if you got the handout and you're taking notes tonight, which I would really encourage and love for you to do, the first thing we see that we need to put on is the love of, of Christ and it gives us five things we're going to put on. But then if you go down to verse 14, and above all of these, like maybe the, the coat that we're putting on at the end, maybe the robe that we're putting on, the garment that covers all the other garments. Yeah, we want to be patient and meek, but the main thing we need to put on, it says here in verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
See, we had some problems in the relationships before. Uh, like we heard in the testimony tonight, we got sex outside of marriage. That's causing a lot of problems in our world today. We got anger and malice and obscene talk. That's causing a lot of problems in our world today. And it's saying, hey, here's the thing that'll bring things together in perfect harmony. Here's the opposite of those kind of sins. Love is the opposite. Above all, you've got to put on the love of Jesus. In fact, it says it in verse 15 that it's the peace of Christ, the right relationship between you and God. And when that relationship between you and God rules in your hearts, it unites us. You are called in one body. So when I know the love of God, my, my uh, vertical relationship between me and God is going to end up affecting all of my horizontal relationships. That's what it's saying. In fact, I'm going to have to bear with people maybe who are still their old self. They're still lost in sin. Or maybe it's going to be people who are even Christians and they're going to do something and that's a sin against me. I'm going to have a complaint against them. I'm going to need to forgive them, it says. I'm going to have to learn how to love other people. That's going to be a part of the new life in Christ. I have the love of Jesus. And there's a key as to how I'm going to be able to love other people. Look at verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How am I going to be able to forgive somebody when they sin against me? Well, here's the key. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you've got a new life with Jesus, then you've got the love of Jesus. And it's the love of Jesus, let's get this down, which forgives you. That's a key thing that the love of Jesus has done. Jesus is not bringing up your past life of sin. Jesus isn't making fun of you and pointing out your old life and mocking you for it. Jesus has forgiven you for it. See, And that's something we're going to have to do with other people. If we have the love of Jesus, we're going to need to pass it on. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Everybody, grab your Bible and turn over to page 1023. If you got one of our books, 1 John chapter 4, where it's going to describe love. And if you were listening to what Johnny was saying in that video, he was saying that actually, when he went to that premarital counseling uh, that he didn't need. Did you catch that part, how he said he didn't need that, right? And did you catch that I was the guy doing the premarital counseling? Is that all coming together right now? That he had nothing to learn when he walked in there? Yeah? And a very interesting moment, actually. Because he acted like he didn't really need to be there the first time we were sitting down. Um, praise God for sharing. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but anyways, we were having a great conversation. Did you catch what Johnny said? He said, wow, it actually revolutionized everything, not only about my relationship with Sharon, but all of my relationships, because without the love of God, how can I even offer love to anybody else? Like, if I don't know love from God, given to me when he gave his own son, Jesus, who died for my sins, and then he forgives me for all of those sins, if I don't know that love, can I even, is it even possible for me to love others? Look what 1 John 4, 7 says. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. How are we going to do that? Well, love is from God. And whoever loves, well, they've been born of God. They've got this new resurrected life. And they know God. They have a relationship with Him. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is, what does it say there? Love. I mean, so let's flip that thought around. If you don't love, it's saying... Verse 8, anyone who does not love, the reason you don't love is because you don't know God. So when you know God, you do love. 
Because if you know him, you will pass it on to other people. And here's how we know the love of God. Verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest. It, it appeared. It was shown to us. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the resurrected life. And this is love. Not that we've loved God. We don't earn the love of God. No, that he loved us. God always takes the initiative in love. That's how love works. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the atoning sacrifice. That's the one who took the wrath of God in our place, who died and paid our penalty, and so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be forgiven. That's what love is, that God gives his son and that Jesus dies for us. That's love. And beloved, verse 11, the beloved, the loved by God, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The implication there is people can't see God. They can't behold his glory with their eyes. But when they see people who actually love one another, who do they end up seeing? That's, they see God. By this they will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says in John 13, when you love one another. So this is clear, that when you get this resurrected new life, okay, a lot of times we think about it, you have this personal relationship with God through Jesus. Well, yes, that's true. You have a relationship straight with God through Jesus Christ. But the truth is, once you enter a relationship with God, you enter a relationship with all of his kids, with all of his people. It's just like when you get married and you get a wonderful group of people that we like to refer to as in-laws. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? Maybe you just hung out with them on Easter time, right? In-laws, things don't always work out, but you got to love them because they're what? They're family. Same thing here at the church. <laughs> These are your in-laws. Praise God. Praise God. We have to, right? I mean, that's where we're at. When I love God, I mean, the only reason I do love God is because he loved me. And when he loves me, when I know his love, I will pass his love on to other people. The love of God will never stop with you. It will always go through you to other people. That is the defining mark. It is how we would identify someone who has the resurrected life of Jesus because they love other people. And, and even when people aren't doing what they should be doing, they bear with those people when they're having a hard time, when they're weak. They go out of their way to meet the needs of others like they're putting the needs of others as more important than themselves. Even sometimes when people are struggling with a sin that they keep doing over and over, they don't give up on the person. Even when they're getting nothing out of it in return, they keep on loving the person. Why? What's in it for them? Well, they know the love of God. What was in it for God when he loved you? When you were an enemy, when you were in sin against him. Didn't stop him from loving you. Doesn't stop us from loving one another. In fact, it goes so far as this. If somebody here were to sin against you, they were to talk bad about you behind your back, they were to do something mean and speak to you in a condescending tone, maybe they were to spread lies about you, maybe they came up and they slapped you in the face. How should you treat them? In the love of God. 
Go to Matthew chapter 18, and there's a question here that is asked. Everybody, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And there's a question that we need to look at about the love that we're supposed to have for one another. How far does this love really go? And one of the concerns that people have, and I hear this on the regular here, I hear it all the time, is people say, well, um, you know, I, I kind of... Uh, I kind of understand this loving other people. I've heard things like you turn the other cheek and I hear things like you suffer. Better to suffer for doing what is right than what is wrong. I hear these things from the scripture. But at some point, don't we become a, a doormat? You ever heard somebody say that before? Maybe it was you that you heard say that, right? <laughs> at some point, don't we become a doormat? Like, aren't we just enabling somebody at some point? Like, aren't we just empowering them? Like, at what point do we stand up for ourselves? Like, at what point do we say enough is enough and you've wronged me enough and now's the time that I'm going to draw the line in the sand and I'm going to have my Alamo moment right here and I'm going to say, you've crossed the line, right? When, wait, when do you think that you should keep on suffering? Like, how far should you let it go when somebody's mistreating you? Well, how about you let it go all the way till they put you on a cross and kill you? That's what Jesus did for us. See? And here's what he says. Peter asked the question, the doormat question. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times. You know, Peter might get made fun of a lot for asking this question. But I want you to think about this for a second. Let's break it down. Afterwards, we're having some nice refreshments over here in another room. And somebody walks up to you. And they slap you right in the face. Without saying anything. And then later they come up to you and they say, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Right? And you say, sure, I'm at church, everybody's watching, you know. <laughs> sure, I'll forgive you. You walk out of your house the next morning and they're there and they slap you in the face again. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what came over me. Will you forgive me? Sure, Tuesday they're there, Wednesday they're there. I mean, think about it. Somebody does the same thing to you seven times in a row. I mean, this is a serious question Peter's asking. Like, he's thought it through. They talk bad about me. They cut me down. They've done it seven times. Surely enough is enough at seven times. And look what Jesus said to him. I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And really, the idea there is just this innumerable amount of times. It's not like we're counting. How many times? No, way beyond what you're thinking, Peter. I know you think seven would be a crazy amount and would be a lot to endure. But I'm saying way beyond that. And then he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that's a lot. And since this servant could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him the debt of 10,000 talents forgiven. Because this loving, merciful king here. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a small amount. 
compared to 10,000 talents. I mean, really nothing in comparison to 10,000 talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. See if this sounds familiar. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We had a debt that we could never repay. Never ever could we work off the guilt of our sins before God and we begged him for mercy. And when we call on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? He saves them. He forgives their debt because Jesus paid it all. He paid it in full. And the whole debt of our sin is forgiven by God. And then somebody does something that we don't like. They sin against us, and we decide we're going to stick it to them. I don't care what anyone has done to anyone in this room, as bad as it might be, it does not compare to our sin before a holy God. What you have done before God deserves punishment, and God has forgiven you for all of it. It says he separated it as far as the east is from the west. It's like it's at the bottom of the sea. It's like it's been washed as white as snow. And he's not even going to bring it up again. That's how the Bible speaks of it. And now we're going to stick it to somebody else. Because they've done something that rubbed us the wrong way. See that's not the risen life of Jesus Christ. When you know the love of Jesus you pass it on. When you've been given for when you've been forgiven by Jesus, you can give forgiveness to other people in your life. Is there anyone that you are harboring bitterness or a grudge against tonight? Anyone in your life, no matter what they have done, I strongly encourage you to forgive them tonight and let them know you forgive them tonight. Because the threat here is very real. My father will do to every one of you. And this servant got thrown in, a, thrown in jail. My father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What hypocrisy for us to say, oh, thank you God for loving me and forgiving me. But I'm not going to forgive so and so. That's not acceptable to our father. If you've been raised with Christ, you have the love of Jesus. And you can forgive others just as you've been forgiven. Now go back to Colossians chapter 3. Because that's not all we get. It is the love of Jesus. That would be enough. What an amazing thing that we can now be identified. We can now put on the love of Jesus for our, ourselves in our own life. And it can change everything about how we treat other people. But there's more. In Colossians chapter 3. Jump with me now to verse 16. It says, not only do we have the love of Jesus, but look at this, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So not only do you put on the love of Jesus, but inside of you, indwelling you in your heart, is the word of Jesus. Let's get that down for point number two. 
One thing you get when you get raised with Christ is the word of Christ can now dwell in you. That's our blank there. The word of Jesus which indwells you. The word of God is living and active. It's within you and it causes you to obey it. You get energized by it. It empowers your life. It changes you from the inside out. That's what it says. It says, when the word of Christ indwells you, you're going to start speaking to other people differently. You're going to start speaking scripture to people, teaching people, warning people not to do what God tells them not to do in the Bible. It says you'll be teaching and admonishing one another, and you won't just be spouting off whatever your own personal opinion is. You'll be speaking to people in the wisdom that comes from God. He'll give his word, his wisdom to you, and you'll be able to pass it on to other people. And it says you'll be so excited about this word of Christ. You'll be so excited about the gospel message and how it's saved your life that you'll start singing it out. You'll start just wanting to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because you're just so thankful. You're just so excited about the new life you have in Jesus that even if you can't hit a note, you start singing a tune. You know what I mean? Some of us, you know, we're not all gifted like Ryan Pierce. You know what I'm saying? We'll just put it like that. But we love singing. Because we love Jesus. We're thankful for what he's done. Now go to Ephesians. It's, it's just right over to the left here. A couple of books. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to see a parallel passage. Because we call these the uh, prison epistles here. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We believe that Paul wrote them while he was in prison. And I think he wrote Ephesians and Colossians with some of the same ideas in mind. There's a lot of parallel passages. There's a lot of ideas in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 that are almost like the same ideas, but they're said a little differently. So they give us more of a nuance of the meaning. And in Colossians 3, it says, when the word is in you, you'll be teaching and you'll be singing. Well, look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with, uh, what does it say there? Be filled with, uh, that's the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you when you're raised with Christ. You get a new heart and you get the spirit who comes and lives within you. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll start addressing one another. Again, here we have this idea of speaking to one another. And how do we do it? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only can I have the love of Jesus to pass on to other people, but I have the word of Jesus, what it says here, the spirit of Jesus, who then speaks through me to other people, sometimes even in songs, sometimes I'm even just speaking to God, giving thanks to him and worshiping him. And wouldn't it be great if this was the kind of place where we just were so filled with the spirit the word was so dwelling in us richly that we just had these great conversations about life. And whenever we gather together, we're just singing songs. And there's this rich community among us. As the word of Jesus not only fills our hearts, but overflows out of our mouths to one another. That's the whole goal of what we're doing here. You see, it's not just about you having this personal relationship with God where you just read the Bible on your own and you just worship God in your own car. There's, an, there's a part here where you come and you do it together that seems really important. This is why we want everybody here to be able to say, I have the word of Christ indwelling me richly. I, I am filled with the Spirit. 
See, the scripture is inside of me. I'm getting it into me and it's energizing me and it's flowing out of me to other people so that I can't stop talking about Jesus and I can't share, stop sharing what he's doing in my life because it's just so great and it's on my heart and I have to tell other people. Does that describe you? And we have the word and, and the spirit works through the word. Are we getting this word to dwell in us richly? Or are we just kind of happy with a meager amount of the word? Or maybe some of us are happy without any of the word of Christ in us. And we got some, some people who seem to think that if I just come on Sunday and hear somebody else talk about the word, that's good enough. No, it's saying that it's good enough when the word is so in you that you're the one talking about it. When you find yourself preaching while you're driving the car to one of your family members, that's when you know you got the word. When you're teaching and admonishing one another, that's why we're doing this thing. Can you write this down if you're taking notes? Psalm of the day. I'm just getting you prepared for it now, okay? We want everybody to have the word on their hearts, and so we're going to challenge everybody who goes to this church, and we're going to do it at the United, if you're here as a part of that group. We're going to do it at the Underground. We're going to do it on every level of this church. We're going to read through the book of Psalms. Who's read through the book of Psalms before? Anybody read through the entire book of Psalms? Look around. Look around. It Was that worth doing? Did that help your relationship with God? Did that give you a song in your heart to make melody to the Lord and something to share with your brother or sister? Man, if you've never read through the book of Psalms, it will profoundly change your life. And so I want to encourage you, starting this Sunday, we are going to read through the Psalms together. Decide right now, I want the Word of Christ dwelling in me richly. I want to be someone who can pass on the life of Jesus to other people. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Because it's not just the love of Jesus. And it's not just the word of Christ that dwells in us. One more thing here. This is now what motivates us. This is now the why of every single thing that we do. In verse 17 it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you say, whatever you do, Here's how you say it. Here's how you do it. In the name of Jesus. So that's something that you get. The third box here is the name of Jesus. Okay? And the name just represents who he is. All of his attributes. All of his characteristics. What do you think about when you know Jesus? When you learn about him from the Bible? Who is he? That's his name. It's the summary of who he is. And so it's the name of Jesus. Whatever I say. Whether I'm talking to, to my one person or talking to a bunch of people, whether I'm at, in public or whether I'm in private, whatever I say, I want it to be something that is fitting with who Jesus is. Whatever I do, whether it's out in the open for everybody to see or whether it's just me, whatever I do, I want it to be something that is like what Jesus would command me to do. That's like something he would do. It's the name of Jesus that now motivates everything I do. Let's get that down for number three. The name of Jesus which motivates you. Like, I, I've been raised to a new life. It's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus who now lives in me. So if I'm going to say something, it better be consistent with Jesus. If I'm going to do something, it better be for Jesus. I'm motivated now in everything that I say and do, that it would be pleasing to Jesus who's given me this new life. See, when you get a new life, you get the power right there to love people, to share the word with people, and everything you say and do for the rest of your life has a purpose, and that's to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's what it's all about. 
Life stops being about me, praise the Lord, and it becomes about Jesus. Now, some of you guys know what's about to happen. Some of you guys, there's a serious plot twist when you turn your page around and you realize there's still three more points and we're only halfway done with this thing. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Because this is, this is trippy, okay? When you get this new life of Jesus, and I just want everybody to see what Colossians 3 has done. It started by saying, your life is with Christ, it's hidden with Christ, it's in heaven. And then it started saying, put to death the deeds of the body. And all that felt very personal. Like, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus, and so I'm starting to think about that. And I'm done with this life, so I'm saying no to my old sins. But then all of a sudden, when we get to verses 12 and 17, it starts saying stuff like, basically, it's not just my own life anymore. And I want to really say that the new you is really here. If you're looking at the top of the back of our handout, the new you is really identified with the new us. That's what we're going to put in that box there. The new us. Like your life is no longer your own. It's Jesus's. And so you get the in-laws that come with Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, You get the people here in this room. In fact, it goes so far as to say, if you want to be in Christ, the love of Jesus, look what it does. Go back to verse 14. I just want to really impress upon you the importance of your relationships with the other people at this church, if this is your church. And it says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in, what does it say there, in what? One body. Is he talking about your physical body? Is he talking about you? It's talking about us. Who is the body of Christ? The church of Jesus Christ. And if this is who you fellowship with, if this is who you identify with, if you are a part of Compass Bible Church, if you would say to someone that this is your church, then this is your body of Christ. You lose all personal identity when you become a Christian. You become a part of the body. That's part of the package. Not only do you get Christ and heaven, you get this group of people right here. So the love of Jesus, point number one, the love of Jesus, what's the point of the love of Jesus? It's to unite us as one body. That's what the love of Jesus does. Okay, that's the purpose of it. It's to bring it all together. Jesus loves the other people in this room so much that he shed his blood and suffered and died for them on the cross. Jesus loves the people in this room so much that he is willing for the church, the church which is so full of hypocrisy and so hated by the world and so maligned, even people who go to church talk bad about church. Have you heard about this? I mean, the church that is so mocked and so ridiculed, you know what Jesus says about a place like this? He says, this is my body right here. These are my people. I mean, he wants to be identified with us. What an amazing concept. And so you're a part of the body now. When you get raised with Christ, you enter into a new relationship, not just with him, but with all of his people. And I want you to really think about what does your commitment look like to the other people here at this church, to the other parts of the body. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Again, a lot of parallel ideas. So we're going back to Ephesians chapter 4 and start with me in verse 12. It talks about how God uses leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Uh, he uses them and here's what the pastor's supposed to do. Here's what the leaders of the church are supposed to do. Ephesians 4 verse 12. Are you there with me? Page 977. You with me still? Some of you guys are like, whoa, this is like a double sermon. That's right. It's resurrection week. Here we go. To a, our last night, you know, we're not coming back tomorrow, so we got we to gotta do it all. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so it says that the pastor, the shepherd, the teacher is equipping who for the work of the ministry? The saints, the holy ones, the ones set apart by God. So who's really doing the ministry at the, at the church? Is it the minister? Well, no, everybody at the church is a minister. That's what it's trying to say. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. It's your job to build up the body of Jesus when you invest in the other people here in this room. I love how Johnny said it right away when he and Sharon got married. It wasn't about what I want to do or what do you want to do. It was about us serving the Lord together. That's the story of every Christian person. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. I want to see everybody in this room mature, complete in Christ, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. I want to see them really living out that resurrection life in His name for His glory. That's my goal. I don't want people to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the word in us and we're going to speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth in love to one another, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the body, into Christ, from whom the whole body, it's joined and held together by the pastors. Is that what it says right there? It's joined and held together by the saints who really have it all together. Is that what it says right there? Joined and held together by who? Every joint with which it is equipped. When each part of the body is working properly. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You could write down a cross reference. 1 Corinthians 12. And it says some of us might be the eye or the ear or the, the foot or the toe. Or, or we might be all different parts of the body. We have all kinds of different gifts. But it says that no matter what part of the body you are. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 22. You are indispensable. That's what it says. That every single part of the body, no matter how small and insignificant that part of the body may seem, it is indispensable. To put it like this, we can't do without any one of you, basically. If you're one of the people that's been raised with Christ and you're a part of the body here, what you bring to the team, what you bring to the family, what you bring to one another, we need you. To be you, the new you in Jesus Christ, we need you to be that person right here at this church. Man, we're a, we're a pretty new church. We've been going for a year and a half. We're just getting started. And we have, an, there's one thing our church is extremely good at over the first year and a half, and that is needing things. Okay. Our church is one of the strongest churches I've ever seen when it comes to the area of need. Okay. We need on every level. Let's, let's ask the person who brings out the donuts. Let's ask the tech crew. Let's ask the greeting crew. Let's ask the parking crew. Let's ask the bookstore crew. I mean, pick somebody who's doing something around here and ask them, you got all the help you need to do it here at this church? And what are they going to say? I need help. I need parts of the body to show up 
and help me out. We need to build ourselves up together in love and we need everybody who's uh, claiming this is their church and everybody who's claiming that they've been raised with Christ. Well, we need you to use that love of Jesus. We need you to use that word of Jesus. We need you to do some things in the name of Jesus right here at this church. We really need it. I'm not just saying this. Like this church is in great need. If we're going to continue reaching people, we need people who are ready to reach people. We can pray for revival all we want. We can pray for more people to show up. But when people show up, who's going to greet them? Who's going to become their friend? Who's going to make them feel like family? Who's going to sit down and say, hey, I want to ask you just three questions. What is the gospel? What is repentance? I mean, nobody, people can't get baptized if somebody doesn't have that conversation with them. I mean, who's going to do all this stuff? If we want to see this, ro- this whole section of, of chairs, if we want to see that full, well, who's going to love all the people that God's going to bring in there? See, we need the whole body working together. Every part is indispensable. If you've been raised with Christ, you're not here to consume what the church is giving you. You are here to give to the church. You know, when they say, ask not what your country can do for you. But ask what you can do for your country. We say, America. But when the church comes, and it happens during the announcement time that you're usually kind of snoozing through, you know what I'm saying? And they say, hey, ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do, not just really for this place even, but for the body of Christ, for the church of Jesus, as a part of those who have been raised to life. I mean, what are you doing for the church? I mean, I wouldn't do this, but let's say I walked up to you after the sermon and I was like, yeah, so what exactly are you contributing to the body here? I mean, what would you be able to say? How are you building others up? How are you speaking the truth in love? What kind of joint or ligament or baby toe are you contributing here to the church? doesn't matter what you're doing, but whatever God's gifted you to do, you need to be doing it is the idea. We need you, is what I'm trying to say. And we need you to have the word of Jesus. Uh, so the, the point number two here, so you can speak and sing to one another. Speak and sing to one another. There's, the pastor isn't supposed to be the only person preaching at the church. Everybody is ready to teach and admonish one another. Did you notice that in Colossians 3? To teaching and admonishing one another. No, I'm learning things from the word. Things that I can right, leave on the internet to encourage somebody. Or things that I could say at a home fellowship group. Or I could meet with somebody one-on-one. And I have something to say. Everyone at church should have something to say about what Jesus is doing in their life to encourage the other people at church. We're here to speak and to sing to one another. Have you ever noticed sometimes when the music dies down and you can hear the other people singing? Here at the church? Am I the only one who, who likes that or do other people like that too? Because right? I can go and sing it in the shower. But when I'm here with you guys and everybody's singing, there's just something powerful about that. It's just like we're all in this together. And we all know God together. And we're all trying to lift high the name of Jesus together. 
And see, there's an encouragement that comes from that. We get built up from things like that. Literally, the scripture says that when we get to our psalms and our hymns and our spiritual songs, it literally says, I know we're worshiping God from our heart, but it says we're singing them to one another. It says that in the Bible. You can't argue with it. It's right there. It says that there's something that even happens when we sing that even encourages one another. And I'll tell you, there's real conversations going on every single week here at this church. And they're called the fellowship groups. Have you heard us talk about this? Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And it's what the United is usually doing here on Thursday nights. We got some of our, our youth here tonight. So good to have you guys here tonight. And usually you're here on Thursday night. And what are we usually doing on Thursday night? If you go to the United, what do we usually do? Small groups. Thank you. Small groups. Right? Because we, we, here at Compass, we think that you can't just hear the Bible with all the chairs face forward. We need to talk about the Bible with the chairs face to face. That's a key part of what the scripture commands. I, I can't teach and admonish one another if it's always somebody teaching at me. Well, it's important that we preach the word and that we hear it all together. But after we hear it all together, we should go talk to one another about how we're going to do it. And that's what happens in small groups, fellowship groups. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 24 and 25. Look what it says. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, here it says two one another commands. And if you start looking for one another commands, you're going to find them. Like there were a couple in our passage to bear with one another, to forgive each other, to love one another. Here it says we've got to consider how to stir up one another. And we've got to encourage one another. These commands are throughout the New Testament. When you've been raised with Christ, what you get is you get the one another's. That's the, whenever you hear uh, one another in the New Testament, just think my Jesus in-laws. That's who we're talking about. The other people here at the church. And I'm being commanded to consider how to stir them up. Now, if I don't know you, I can't consider how to stir you up. I got to talk to you. I got to know your name. I got to know maybe where you live and what you do for a living and what your family's like. And I got to start to get to know maybe what your temptations are and what your trials are and what makes you excited to live for Jesus and what makes it really hard for you to live for Jesus. And then I got to figure out how I can get you fired up about Jesus. So I mean, we're going to have to invade each other's privacy is what it's saying here. We're going to have to get to know each other on a family kind of level. I'm going to have to know not just like who you are on the outside. I'm going to have to know who you are on the inside. Because my job is to stir you up to love and to good deeds. So we're going to have to be open and honest with one another. And get to know each other here at this church. Do you have people here at this church that feel like family? Because if you don't, we're doing it wrong. Either we're doing it wrong or you're doing it wrong. Because it's supposed to feel like these are my blood, brothers, and sisters. Just an adopted family of people who've been raised to a new life in Christ. And I have people. I would say there should be at least one. I would love for there to be two, three, four, five people. Names that could immediately come to your mind right now. And you could say before God, I am trying to stir that person up in their soul to love God. And to live for him. And I pray for them. 
and I can think about them. And when I see them, I have things that I've specifically decided to text or call or email or speak face to face that I think are going to light the fire of Jesus within them. I want to encourage them. I want to stir them up. I'm thinking about it all the time. How could I encourage so-and-so to keep going for Jesus Christ? Everybody wants to be encouraged. Well, here's the question at Compass Bible Church. Who's going to do the encouraging? It's really nice when you receive it, but who's ready to give it? See, that's the idea. I'm going to be speaking to one another. I'm going to be singing to one another. I'm going to be affecting the group, not just receiving from the group, giving to the group, the word of Jesus to speak and sing to one another. I would hope that people at this church would get so close to one another that you'll get a voicemail and you're having a bad day and it's like, what does so-and-so want? And they're like singing a worship song on your voicemail. Beloved, let us love one another. You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't that be it? Wouldn't that change your day right there? Right? Especially if they were hitting the notes, it would be a positive thing. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of thing. Like, hey, you don't just come to church on Sunday. The church is coming to you every day of the week. That's how it's supposed to be. When we encourage one another, you stir one another up. How are we doing at that? And I don't see how you're really going to be able to do that in our culture, in our day and age. If you're not in a small group, if you don't have a fellowship group, if you don't have people's names and phone numbers, I really don't know how you're going to be able to do that. It's going to be a real challenge. That's why we, we want everybody, if you would say, this is my church, I'm a part of Compass Bible Church, Huntington Beach, then here what I'm asking you to do is to be a part of one of our fellowship groups. In fact, we put that insert. Can you pull that insert out? It's a week at a glance. It's everything that's going on every week. Man, there's prayer meetings that have very small attendance. There's cleaning times where only a few people show up. I mean, we, there's so much need on that calendar that you hold in your hand. And there's these things throughout the week at all different days and times, fellowship groups where we sit down and our chairs are face to face and we start speaking to one another in encouragement. That is a part of the raised life of Jesus Christ. You can't tell me you're living a raised life with Christ if there's no speaking and singing to one another. That's a part of how it works. And you do this towards one another in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Because our goal as a church, what we're all working together to accomplish is we want to lift high the name. That's number three. The name of Jesus, our goal, our collective goal is to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. The people who are lost in Huntington Beach, people who are on drugs, people who are criminals, people who have never darkened the door of a church, people who maybe grew up in the church and have long since left it, that those people would see how we love one another. That they would hear the word that we're speaking to one another. And that the Holy Spirit of God would bring them in here and they would see who Jesus is even when they never see Jesus and they only see us. That's the goal. You know, there's this phrase that goes around, and I think it's something for you to think about, that, that for some people, you're going to be maybe the only Jesus that they ever see. How are we making him look here at Compass HB? Does it look like you would want to join the family of Jesus when you see how we treat one another? I hope we stand out from the world. 
I hope there's something different about us. Like we're dead to our old life and we've been raised with Christ. Because the new you is really the new us. And when people see us, they need to see Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this study that we've been able to do about the resurrection. And God, we thank you for this new life that we have. And and God, we thank you for the new relationship we have with you where our life is in heaven with you. And we can put off our old life. We can put to death our old deeds, our sins that used to define us. And we have a new identity, a new life in Jesus. And we praise you for raising us to new life in Jesus. And then God, we come before you now. And we pray that this new relationship we have with you would lead us to new relationships with one another. And I just pray for everybody here who would consider themselves a part of this church if they're, if they're not really feeling like they're a part of the one another's, the encouraging one another's, the loving one another's, the bearing with one another's, the forgiving one another's. If a relationship with you hasn't brought them into relationship with the other people at church, God, I pray that that would change here tonight. And we would be united as one body here in this place, really representing Jesus in the right way. And God, my heart just goes out to those who who don't have these kind of relationships, who don't love others because they don't know your love. And God, I'm sure there's some souls here tonight. And they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They know about it. They think it really happened even. But they don't know the love of Jesus in their own soul. They don't have love to pass on to other people when they look at their relationships. They're falling apart. They're not being built up. They're speaking harsh words of anger. They're not speaking the truth in love. God, I pray if there's anybody here that's convicted in their heart tonight, when they see that they're sinning against others rather than loving others, that they would come to you and they would believe in the resurrection of Jesus so that they would rise with him, that there would be new life here tonight and they would know your love, the love of the Father, the love that you freely give to us. And it changes all of our relationships because we pass on your love to other people. God, we celebrate your love here tonight and we say thank you. At the end of this resurrection week, we say thank you for giving your son. Thank you for him dying on the cross for us. Thank you for him rising again so we could have a new life. Thank you for all of the love that you have given to us, God. And let us receive your love and let us give it to one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.